today I get to talk to Prentice Howe, owner of Door Number Three Advertising in Austin, Texas. What a nice guy! Had a lot of great advice for young people getting into the business. His story is a really, a really interesting one. He went off to L.A. for a while to try to write screenplays. That didn't work out. Uh, he went off to uh, Detroit and worked at uh, Donor for a little while, but ended up coming back and uh, actually buying the agency where he. He used to work in Austin, Texas, and he's still running that today for, I think, five years now, and a really interesting conversation with him. We have a lot in common as far as our agencies are concerned. I think we're the same sort of size and have a lot of the same sensibilities, so it's, it was an interesting conversation, and it was great to meet him. Uh, and he's got a book called The Empowered Challenger Playbook, which you can find at, at I think, uh, we had an Austin uh, website where you should go and buy that, but you could also buy it on Amazon if you want. And now, my conversation with Prentice Howe. Hey, Prentice Howe. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for coming on. We've never met, and I was checking out your stuff. Uh, I love You're at door number three. That's right. And you're the owner of that, and you're in Austin, Texas. But where, where, did, you, uh, where did you start your, uh, your life? Where did, my where did life. You grow up? Oh gosh, you know, I, I started my life in Honolulu, Hawaii, only because uh, my dad was in the military. But then we moved to Massachusetts, and I lived outside of Boston, and um, I was a kid there for a while until we then moved to San Antonio, Texas. Wow. So hopped around a little bit, and then how old were you when you moved to Texas? Oh, that was like right starting uh, middle school. So okay, and then and then lived in San Antonio and was culture shock completely. Had a wicked Boston accent. Oh, Got yeah. rid of that. And then moved to Texas, it kind of neutralized the whole thing. So I think I'm kind of in the middle now. Uh-huh. But I uh, did that and then stayed put. Texas has, you know, I've, I've moved away three three or four times from Texas and moved back. And uh, yeah. it's Austin, Austin is now home. But I went to SMU in Dallas. And when did you uh, when did you decide you wanted to be in advertising? How did you how did you find out about advertising? I had a great professor at SMU, David Sladen. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just a, I had no idea that it was available to me. So, you know, I grew up watching, you know, TV and loving commercials. And then, and then I got into high school and college, loved to write. I was studying economics and I was, I was thinking I was going to be a, a business major or do something like that. And, and then um, I took a class. It was like an intro to advertising class with David Sladen at SMU. And I realized all these things could come together. I think like a lot of people, a lot of creatives, they go, wow, I can, I can write cool stuff and I can make a career out of that. And so <clears throat> that's what I did. And then I realized I could put a portfolio together. So yeah. I started to work on that, you know. And that David Sladen class, what, what was it about it that, that made you go, ooh, this is... Maybe I could do this. Was there somebody who in your in your pet like your your parents or, or anybody that you you knew that kind of did that and you could imagine it or? No, no, not at all. So right. no, my, my my whole family never nobody in advertising. So it was all new to them. It was all new to me. I just looked at like some people that were ahead of me in class and kind of as they were going out mm. into the world and working at shops and people that graduated a couple of years before me, mm-hmm. Jay at, at GSDNM, he's the executive creative director there. And then mm-hmm. Wade Alger was a couple of years ahead of me. Some guys that just got on to have great careers. And right. and then the, the, the guys that would come in from like the Richards group, DDB and agencies in Dallas, it's just kind of a light went on. I went, well, this is, this is like really fun kind of creative problem solving I've never been exposed to before. So right. That's how it all kind of started. And is the SMU uh, advertising program deep or did you have to go outside of, uh, did you have to go to another advertising school after that? 
it was growing and getting better when I was there. I think it's even gotten a lot better since I've left, but it was, it's funny you asked that. Like I didn't even really, it wasn't on my radar that I would go to another school and further my portfolio. Mm -hmm. I know I had, I had some good professors there. I put a book together and of course, you know, I laminated it, you know, mm -hmm. like it was all, like it was all done. Like it was finished. It could not be improved. Right. And I, I put it in a, I had a, I went around just talking to agencies and as a junior potential junior writer and I didn't have a, a case or anything. I think like a travel case was like, you know, 40 bucks or something. So I put it in a trash bag. <laughs> and I remember walking in like to the Richards group and different agencies in Dallas and um, showing my book. And, you know, it was um, it was good enough to get me my first job. I, I look back at it now and go, how in the world did that happen? You know, but yeah, um, with a trash bag. Well, yeah, with why, a trash bag. why a trash bag? Was that a, was that a conscious it was decision rainy. or no, you it just... was rainy? It was rainy. I was not going to I was not going to let any raindrops get on my laminated uh, print ads. You know, that wasn't going to happen. So you had to protect it. And yeah. uh, so I did whatever I had to do, but it probably didn't make the best impression. But somehow I got a job and I got my start. And I will thank Don Sedai. He's a, a great ad guy and had a great career. And he just took a flyer on me. So I got started. Where was that? What was that first place? That agency's not around anymore. It was wow. called Gleason Kalise at the time. Went on to be called Kalise Sedai, and then you know, as ad agencies ad agencies do, it kind of um, dissolved, and the partners went and did their own things. Yeah. But it was for me a great start to to jump on some fun accounts. Um, we had some technology accounts. Anheuser Busch was there. We had, did some fun work for those guys. We had some good travel and tourism stuff. So uh, it was there was a lot of variety as a young writer to just go in and. And, and go for it and start building my portfolio and start producing radio and, and do some things. So yeah. it was a good start. What, what were some of the things you learned in that first job? What were, can you remember what it was like, sort of the feeling yeah. of having the deadlines and all that stuff? I tried not to get, let the stress get to me too much. I had good partners and that really helped. I think mm -hmm. that's critical. You know, I remember thinking, man, I'm going to be in an office the rest of my career. I mean, there'd be times when I just had to walk down the stairwell and walk out and get out of there and walk around and think it kind of dawned on me that I'd signed up for office work for the rest of my life. So that was one big thing that oh, I just noticed. Yeah. And, you know, luckily I've landed in different places where you you can make that working and, and move around, not be chained to your desk. But right. but yeah, that was that was one thing. Even to this day, I go, why didn't I become a like a park ranger or something? <laughs> I'm in an office all day. Um, yeah. But other than that, you know, man, it was it was really a good setup for me to get started because there were a lot of opportunities, but a lot of support. You know, if if I didn't get it right or if I needed a third, fourth at bat. So right. um, I'm grateful. It was just a good start. Yeah. Where what was your process then for coming up with work and how how has it evolved? My process then was a lot more unstructured, I guess. You know, it was more like giving myself the the mental headspace to get out of the problem and let the idea kind of come find me. And I think I've just gotten throughout my career, uh, you know, I, I got more disciplined. I think about the creative process in terms of really knowing how to bucket creative territories and chase, spend time chasing specific creative territories or platforms, writing to platforms. A lot of it's like that I didn't do then that I would do now is just start writing, you know, just start writing to the problem. Right. And that can be, you know, try to write a mantra. Um, I wouldn't have done that. Like right when I got out of school, I was all about the like, what's the funny headline that's going to go on the outdoor board. And, right. But now it's like, I think just getting into it, almost like you're writing a piece of fiction about the problem or about the client or about the product and letting some thoughts and ideas and lines just kind of fall out of that. So I think I got more structured as, as life went on, you know, um, 
Uh, I didn't yeah. really know what I was doing when I got started. It was just like try to write funny headlines, try to write headlines that were funnier than the the writer, you know, three doors down. From yeah, you. and funny seems to be the thing that like everybody gravitates to at first because it's you're right, easy, yeah. right? Um, no, it's, yeah, it's an easy way to to get a get an emotional response. It is. I always went for that early on in my career, and then I realized there were other emotions. And, yeah. um, and you know, it was. It's good to. I got mature enough to go. You know, this it, can be really good. It doesn't have to be funny. But so yeah. No, you're right. That's what, true. What was the first time that you you wrote something or you made something and it got produced and you were like, whoa, I did it. I'm in. I'm in the business. I think it was probably at my first job. It was. It was a campaign for Anheuser Busch uh, Ziegenbach, which is like their Bach beer. Um, to go up against Shinerbach, which is a tall order because Shinerbach is a beloved, you yeah. know, beer here in Texas. And yes. then, you know, here's this Anheuser-Busch backed craft brew trying to, but you know, it, it was a, it was a radio, radio campaign that I did for them that mm-hmm. was just kind of, it was, I hate to use the word edgy, but yeah, in the nineties, it was, it was like edgy and funny and just really irreverent and different. And, um, I, I kind of produced that and, you know, we got to, that's when we traveled really far to go produce radio spots. You know, you get on a plane, then you land. Like, why, why can't we do this in Dallas? Apparently not. We had to go to, you know, either L.A. or Toronto or something to find voices. Oh, so right. it was like, you know, wow, this is um, this is a whole new world. And, and just getting that work produced and people responding really well to it. That was right out of the gate. Just like, OK, this could be a really fun career. Yeah. And radio seems to be the thing that a lot of uh, it was my first thing that I did kind of by myself yeah. as well. It seems to be the thing that, you know, among young writers, uh, I'm assuming you were a writer uh, yeah, that's at, right. the, at the time. It's the kind of the first thing because nobody's paying attention. And, you know, the rest of the campaign is sort of the, the more glamorous thing. And this radio spot has to get done. And, you yeah, know, a lot of people no, are just like, yeah, right. just go do it. You're right. And I think that there were opportunities back then to be really conceptual with radio. And I don't know that that's the right thing to do, but we were completely (laughs) liberated to do it. You know, you do that kind of spot that like it goes on for 55 seconds and it's got this story with multiple people. And then the last five seconds is like (laughs) you pay off what the heck you're talking about. I wouldn't even allow that to go out the door today at our agency. But, uh, you know, at the time, that's what we did. And it was uh, super fun. So. So you you le- you said you left Texas for a little while. Where where'd you go? Where was your first uh and what was that like leaving home? Were you were you living at home until you until you got that no, job outside? No, or? no, I lived okay. in lived in once SMU, lived in, on my own in Dallas and then uh okay. met my future wife. You know, uh-huh. she was an account she was an account person and uh-huh. um and uh, I said, Hey, I really me and my close friend from childhood, we wanna go to uh, Los Angeles and we wanna write screenplays. And uh-huh. so she wanted some assurances that, you know, we had a future, which we absolutely did. I'm still, I'm married to her now many, many years later, but yeah. um, we all, we moved out there almost as like a crew, the three of us oh, um, wow. and without any jobs and said, we're going to work, I'm going to work at, we're going to work in advertising. Yeah. So uh, Michael got a job doing his thing. I got a job, but then we wrote screenplays at night, like almost every night. Wow. And, and now I will, I'll cut to the end. Because you're probably like, well, what, which movie was it? What did I see? None of them got produced. I'll be totally honest. We did like four or five. None of them got produced. This was like pre-YouTube, pre-the democratization of technology where we probably would have gone out and shot the first scene ourselves on an iPhone or something. Yeah. So this was us like, we got an agent, you know, we got an yeah. agent. And then that's us just like 
going around Hollywood trying to chase down anyone that would pay attention to us to hand them, you know, Pitch a 120 script. page script. Yeah. So it was a, it was a nutty time and we were not the best. I think we were good writers. I don't think we were the best salespeople or I don't think we really knew exactly what we were doing, but it was, it was like a great, it was an incredible creative process and learning experience and just a, part of my life I look back really fondly on. So as while I was continuing to do advertising, I did that as well. And it just kind of showed me that there's a whole world out there. So that was, that was LA. We were out there about five years. Five years. Where did, where did you work in LA? Most recently I was at an agency called Ignited and uh-huh. it's in Marina Del Rey. They kind of, at the time talked about marketing for people who play. So there's a lot of like uh, video games and sports drinks and, and some fun accounts like that. So, That's cool. I, and, and then I came back to Texas, but I came to Austin. And that's when I worked at door number three uh-huh. uh, as an employee the first right. time. Well, what made you sort of, uh, I don't want to say give up on the dream, but I just said give up on the dream. What made you sort of say like, okay, maybe this whole, uh, like, what, did that feel like a failure at the time or? It's funny. Yeah. You know, like, I remember our neighbor who was like, <laughs> we, we had this shack in the back up in the Hollywood Hills. It was all like Everyone owned their house except us. We had this little crappy rental with a great view. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were packing up the U-Haul heading to, to Austin. And he walked by with his dog. And he's like this big, you know, award-winning producer of reality TV shows. And he's like, you giving up? You throwing in the towel? And I remember I wanted to punch him in the face. Because I, <laughs> I, I, I had that feeling of what you just said. I did feel like I was giving up. I felt like I was, yeah. you know, I, was, uh, I tried something and it didn't work out. Um, I think in hindsight... It was just time. I think I was just, I was ready. I realized that advertising was my career. I liked it. I realized that I wanted to build a future with my my wife at that time then and do something different and get back to my roots in Texas. So I think at the time it stung and I probably did feel like I failed on some level, but I fell forward. I mean, I fell forward for sure. Yeah, you fell forward. And, and, you know, it's kind of thing where if you didn't do it, you'd probably kicking yourself. And I think it's good that you did it. And the other thing is that a lot of people in advertising feel like they, you know, it's like they need that real art, you know, <laughs> like the, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, when I was first starting out in the business, I would write episodes of, of, you know, just like spec episodes of shows like Seinfeld and things. And like, I remember just spending so much time on that that I wish I had spent on actual advertising. Yeah. I, I wonder if I would have gone farther faster uh, yeah. if I had just, you know, committed. But right. uh, we all have to go through that that time of like, oh, maybe this, maybe that. Exactly. I think so. And, I, you know, I, you talk to people that are in very, very senior places at really good agencies. They still go through that. It's just the yeah. itch to, to keep growing and doing something different to make things and to, to yeah. be creative. Um, yeah. so you come back and you, you get this job at door number three. Why, why did you pick door number three? It was, you know, I, how did you I find had, out about them? I came to Austin. I was still freelancing for different agencies, agencies back in LA. And we just said, Hey, we're going to move to Austin. My sisters were here. My family was nearby. Felt like a city on the rise. Although when we moved back, it was nothing compared to what it is today. So it's still kind of sleepy, but, but I knew it was going to be a great city to live in. So we, we, uh, we came here and then I started freelancing and I met the owner at the time of door number three. I saw the potential there and she saw the potential in me to come in and be her ECD and take it to a different place. And that was really attractive to me. I, I had the pleasure. I don't know, you know, man, this is a good thing, bad thing, but I had the opportunities to move into more of like management kind of position earlier in my career than maybe than most, but in some ways, maybe it 
maybe it went too fast too. Like maybe I should have spent more time just being a creative and being a writer. But it, mm -hmm. you know, by the time I was 30, I was ECD there and it was just an opportunity to shape something. And I yeah. thought that was really cool. So I went for it. Did you, did you have any of that imposter syndrome? I know I went through that, like where you get yeah. that, that title, you know, ECD yeah. or whatever it is. And you're just like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Well, I know, I know, no, no, I know the titles, the titles <laughs> just kept, kept getting like cooler. And I, and yeah. I, of course I did. hundred yeah. percent. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know what ECD meant really at that time, but. How do you deal with it? What do you, what do you, do you just keep doing it and faking it till you make it? Or is there like just to, to talk to anybody who's maybe going through that now? I think what you do is you learn really what that role is. And what that role is, is to set the tone for a department. That role is to be super supportive. That role is to attract really good talent, mm -hmm. to empower people, to, come up with stuff on their own, not feel like you have to solve it for them mm -hmm. to be there and, and help champion their ideas. You know, like that was the first time where, you know, I'd hired, so I hired a, a great team at it that was over at GSTNM to come join door number three. And, mm. and man, those guys, I mean, they were, they just killed it. And it was fine. It was really exciting to sit back and go, I'm going to get just as much happiness out of watching them nail an idea yeah. that doesn't have to be mine. I guess you just get to that point where you got to realize it's not about you, it's about them. And you right. got to kind of row, row from the back of the boat. And right. that's, I think once you do that, you start to figure it out. But yeah. it's it really comes down to having great people around you and having great people that you hire. What is your process for finding the right people? I, I know you talked about people that are good at uh, working well with others. How do you find those people that are that are good at that, the collaborators? I don't know that there's a silver bullet because I think you got to do a lot of things right. But hopefully it's a combination of staying in touch with people throughout the years and knowing that, you know, their network's going to be deep. And then my other, the other guy over here, his network's going to be deep and, mm -hmm. and leveraging it, like and being okay with asking, like, hey, mm -hmm. putting something out there and saying, who do you know that I should talk to? So that's pretty powerful. The other thing is just trying to send off good vibes and a good tone and good culture and good core values for mm. your agency and make sure that that's, uh, you know, kind of light coming off the lighthouse on the top of the cliff. So when people do come to you or hear about you or see an opening, they're like, I know those guys and I like what they stand for and they have a good tone. And so yeah. I think it's, uh, there's a lot of groundwork that has to be done before that initial conversation. But I mean, I'm going through it right now. We're, we're looking for an account lead and I'm having a lot of conversations all throughout the week. And it's, I feel like those little deposits that I've made throughout yeah. the years are paying off. Like people will, they'll say something really, really nice or appropriate or poignant or specific about who we are or what they've noticed about us. And I think that that's how you attract like-minded people. Hopefully, you know, hopefully that's how it works. Yeah. I, I saw that uh, you, you write a lot about nurturing your network and and being good to people so that they'll be good to you back. So that sounds like what you're talking about there. What are those things? What are those good vibes that you put out there? Like, like what are some examples or some some tips for people on how to stay in touch with lots of people on without selling yourself, you know, um, without right. just trying to get don't just call them when you want something, you know, sort of thing. Man, there's probably lots of ways. There was a photographer once that, that we now work with a lot, but he he said, um, you know, how do you choose a photographer? Like, there's just so many. And I said, yeah, and there's so many and there's so many good ones. There's so many, there's too many to give jobs to because there's so many good ones. But it really comes down to like, who do you want to be standing in a cornfield next to for two hours waiting for the sun to come up and get the perfect shot? It is staying in touch with people. It's complimenting people on what they're doing, you know, taking the time to notice what they're doing. And the other thing I try to do when I can is like, just 
this is so stupid, man. I feel dumb just saying this, but like being being really helpful, like without without expecting something in return. You know, yeah. it's just like if people are like, hey, I, I, I need help with this. So I need to be connected to this. And maybe even thinking ahead, like, hey, I know Sam, uh, he, he'd probably benefit if he could be connected to these three people and then me proactively doing that, not yeah. expecting anything from Sam right now. It's just, you know, I try my best and I'm right. not perfect at all, but I think like you, you, I write handwritten notes, man, still like to this day, I oh, just wow. mailed three, three notes in the mail today because it's stuff like that I think makes a difference. And I learned, I'm kind of old school, but I learned that from my dad and, and, you know, in a world of email and text, just taking the time to slow down and appreciate somebody. Yeah. And your dad was in the military your whole life or what? what no, just, just, just early on. No, he was a physician and oh, okay. uh, he's a, yeah. So he was just a, just a little bit when I was young. And, and he taught you to, to write handwritten notes. Right handwritten notes. Yeah. Absolutely. But he was you a know, physician, I, so he probably couldn't read any of them. <laughs> couldn't read any of it, but that's, it's like, thanks dad. That's the Another old note. joke. No idea what you said, but I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> yeah. So you have that that stint at door number three. Sounds like you you got in sort of at the top, but you didn't stay. You went on to to donor. Is that was that the next yep. stop? Uh, yeah. In, so in Detroit. It was interesting. It was around 2009. I had worked out a plan to purchase the agency from the owner, the founder at the time. She was ready to move on. And I don't know if you remember 2009, but that general yeah. area of it was time, not, it was just it was not good. It times. was not good. It was not good. It was not a good time <laughs> to buy an ad agency. And, and it just, it was all, we, we had good intentions on both sides, but I realized it just wasn't the right time to do it. And uh, right around then I got contacted um, for a creative director position up at Donor in Detroit. And it was at the time, uh, Rob Strasberg, who's chief creative officer there. He had yeah. just left Crispin Porter to go up there and take the helm and really start moving that, sh turning that ship around. Yeah. And I, I loved Rob's work. I loved his portfolio. I kind of grew up in my ad career, loving all that stuff that he and Alex had done. And yeah. I, I just kind of felt like if you can't, if you can't marry her, set her free. So I had to do that with Austin and door number three. And I somehow said, sweetheart, uh, my wife, uh, we had two little girls. I mean, little, little at the time, yeah. like three, three and four. Yeah. We're moving to Detroit. And, you know, she wanted to just kick me in the groin. Oh. And so I, I bribed her with something, you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, we did it. We went up there and it was a great adventure. Um, and, and Rob is, uh, he's since moved on, but man, he was, he was a great guy. And yeah. I was just surrounded by a lot of talent. Uh, Detroit is really, I would say, underrated in terms of the people and the talent. They're really, they're really um, hardcore Detroit people, and so they yeah. stay there and they love it. And they're really talented. And I had a good experience up there, but it was, it was short because door number three came calling again. Oh, really? So how long yeah. were you up there before they said, "Hey, uh, never mind, yeah. we're we're down with that again." Yeah. So Let's the, the economy, the economy turned around and, uh, it'd been just a few years. Um, but, but things had, things had changed, you know, like things were, I mean, at the agency were really healthy and, and I called the moving van that, that moved us up there. And I said, remember that thing we did a couple of years ago, same thing, just the opposite city. So we're going to go <laughs> Detroit, Austin this time. And so that was like my third or fourth time moving back to Texas. Cause I even did it once in college. That was a, another thing. Yeah. I, so I, and I just said this, okay, this time I'm going back and I'm not, I'm not moving again. We're going to, we're going to Austin. We're going to stay there. And, um, that deal that from 2009, um, we dusted it off and, you know, all, it was all figured out. It was just a matter of the right timing. So we made it work and, uh, it was the best professional decision I've ever made. So now you own, you own the agency. Correct. Um, you're independent, right? 
Yes. And what have you put into practice? That, how did you change the place when you when you got in, and what worked, what didn't? What? Uh, how long have you been there yeah. now? So I guess my math, I hope I'm doing all the math right with the years. So if someone's calculating, they'd be like, wait, you missed a couple of years. Uh, it's been, what, five now, just almost five years. So okay. there's a lot of things that were working that were made the agency what it was and it had a good reputation and the work had gotten gotten noticed. And, you know, I didn't want to come in and blow it up. And in fact, I was coming back to a place where a lot of the clients were the same as when I left, you know, right. and so it was kind of like a homecoming. So what I wanted to keep was the name. Yeah. Um, I wanted to keep the type of work we do in terms of, you know, um, strategy and brand positioning, creative services, media planning and buying in-house. But what I felt like had to evolve was the look and the tone of the agency. So, I mean, we evolved the brand identity and kind of how we present ourselves visually. I felt like the positioning of the company needed to be tightened and it didn't really have anything other than cool shop doing fun work for a nice mix of clients in Austin, Texas. I really wanted to work on that. I felt like that would start to differentiate us and pave the way for new business. And then um, just tightening up our case studies. And then, of course, as we've evolved, it's it's with every new hire getting just better people, better, better, smarter people. Yeah. So those are the things I've focused on. And that's those are the things we've been working on. So what, what when you talk about positioning the business, I yeah. think a lot of people are, you know, early in their careers, they're probably like, what, you know, I wouldn't even know the first thing. What what do you mean by that? And, and, and what'd you do? I think we took a step back and thought of it like a lot like we do with our clients. Like what makes you guys different that people want and need that's, you know, that, that customers are going to want. And, and, and so it was, we actually went through kind of a brand positioning process ourselves and looked at our strengths and what we do well. A lot of what we were doing well was helping to champion what we're, you know, calling at the time. It's a word, you know, but um, kind of challenge your brands that are rising and scaling. They're out muscled, they're out, they're out resourced, but they're, they have aspirations that outweigh their marketing resources. And we've always worked as a nice extension of an in-house marketing team to mm-hmm. help them really outthink when they can't outspend. And, and that's not that we work with startups that don't have any money. It's It could even be a, a, a product or a department within a bigger, giant global corporation, but they're just being outmuscled. And so I wanted to make sure that we could put a story around that and put all of our focus around that. And and it just gives us, a, puts a stake in the ground. It's like, why, what do we raise the flag for every day? And I want to make sure that that's something we had. And so we, uh, we went after it. And, and, and so I, we say embrace your challenger ability. Challenger ability, by the way, is not a real word. We made that up. But, but it's, you know, it's like it's finding the beauty in, the, in the, the idea that you do have constraints and you don't have all the resources at your disposal. But that's where some of the greatest stories are, are, are coming out. Uh, with brands today, if you look around, I mean, that's that's really a beautiful place to be. So we did that. And then I, I decided to write a book. I think it's also called an oversized business card. But for me, it was like, let's I want to write something that fortifies our position as an agency. So yeah. people, you know, even within our own walls know, like, why do what are we doing? Why are we doing this? And yeah. why, why do we get up every day? So it's called the Empowered Challenger Playbook. And it's um, really a, at, at the core, it's about positioning a challenger brand, but it's it's then looking at what I've identified as five key personalities of challengers that are really empowered in the marketplace and how they're succeeding. So all that was positioning that was standing in front of the mirror naked and saying, okay, what do we have here? And so it definitely didn't kill off everything we were, everything we were doing the past. I think we had a great legacy, but it's just to build something for moving forward and to attract the right kind of clients. We need to, to kind of look in the, look in our own mirror. Yeah. And I like that you're, 
doing the thing that you're asking your clients to do, right? You're you're yeah. you're behaving in a way that's going to get you noticed because you you don't have the money or the you know the the numbers to to get right. noticed, right? Right. Um, right. And what are the five uh, personalities? For example, um, lightning rod, like like looking at rising challenger brands that I'm calling empowered challengers that really have the playbook, they have the roadmap, they have some personalities across the board that are in common. One of them's lightning rod. It's kind of like um, the Lady Gaga thing, like love her or hate her, but you you can't ignore her. Right. Really being polarizing or controversial to the point that it helps define your brand and illuminate your brand, but not just for the sake of being controversial. Mm-hmm. But there are some, you know, go even going back to like Mike's Hard Lemonade or something, but, right. um, you know, Dollar Shave Club does it, uh, uh, thinks, you know, yeah. um, that brand, you know, so Lightning Rod is one of them. Yeah. Another one is Foster Rejection, the personality of fostering rejection. So pushing away the masses in order to attract your most ardent fans. Mm-hmm. And that's really res- resisting the temptation to be all things to all people. Like Diesel. So it, yeah, yeah, that's right. Even uh, on a small scale, like a door number three example of that was when we helped Bird's Barbershop here in Austin, Texas. You know, like they're a rock and roll barbershop. And like now everybody loves them. They, they attract all kinds of people. But the, the ones that foster rejection early on, they they find their greatest advocate. You know, who wants to go to a rock and roll barbershop and not pay great clips prices and, and not pay, you know, super salon prices, but that sweet spot. So, yeah. and then you build your fan base from there. So foster rejection is another one. Heretical is just another one looking over the horizon and bringing you today, what you didn't even know you needed. You know, there's lots of brands that do that really well. That's another one. Compulsive servitude is another one I call a personality trait of an empowered challenger. So basically the idea that you're over delivering to the extent that it's the very definition of your brand. Mm. So, um, you know, it's a fun little example, like that would be an idea of compulsive servitude is there's this flower delivery company called urban stems. So urbanstems.com. I was looking up flowers. I want to send some to family members in Washington, DC mm-hmm. and, you know, looked them up. And of course you end up on like FDT and 1-800-Flowers and yeah. all these where you know you're going to check out and pay like $29 for the service fee. Yeah. I kept looking, found Urban Stems, like nice UX, good looking brand, ordered flowers, boom, boom, done, thought it was over, assumed I would get a note from my family member later. Well, I got a text like hours later of Lisa holding with her arm up, holding the flowers up in front of the house with the door number, the door and the door number right there. And she said, you can check off uh, making someone's day from your to-do list. These are delivered. And I just thought, okay, that's compulsive servitude. That's finding a way in the entire customer journey to over-deliver to the extent that that is who these guys are now. It's like, it's going beyond please and thank you. But like, what what are brands doing today to over-deliver in a way that defines the brand? And it's not an advertising move, it's a operational move. So uh, compulsive servitude. And then the last one is um, constant evolution, moving beyond your origin category to another one because Uh you've earned the right to do so. So if you think about like like a Shinola, um, you know, they they started out making a company from Detroit making impeccably crafted handmade watches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, they go on, they make uh, like pet carriers and leather goods and mm-hmm. bikes and turntables. And most recently, they opened a Shinola Hotel in Detroit. Now, they've earned the right to do that because they've they've kicked ass in their origin category so much yeah. that they're trusted by the customer. Yeah. Um, you know, Vir- Virgin's a great example years ago, but that's another kind of challenger personality that you're seeing. And so... These have all been identified in the book. I go deep into them. I do some case studies. But for us as an agency, we really try to look through the lens of 
these kind of archetypes and personalities when we're creating work and make sure that we're being true to that spirit when we um, put work out into the world. How long did it take you to write the book? Uh, how did you do it? What was your... Uh... I remember starting in April and it was up on Amazon by February. So it was less than a year, but I'd say years in the making. You know, like all of us will write a blog post or something we think about and put it out there. Yeah. So I feel like I had some stuff to start with, but it took getting a really good editor that would work with me. So we'd, we'd pass drafts back and forth, give thoughts. So I, it's like sometimes when you're stuck in the bottle, you can't read the label. And I wanted to make sure that she was watching out for blind spots and she, she was phenomenal. So I had a great editor and I it was just being disciplined and carving out the right amount of time every week to do it. And, yeah. and now I look back and I am like, cause I'm like, man, maybe I should, I need to get after it and get another one yeah. going. And I, I'm like, how did I find time to do that? I don't know. But <laughs> Thankfully, I did. I'm glad I did it. And it's called the Empowered Challenger Playbook, and people can get it on, on Amazon, or is that, yep. is that somewhere? That yep. you get it? It's Great. on Amazon. I always like to ask what your daily routine is like. What, what do you do to stay ahead of things? Yeah. You know, running, a, running an agency uh, is a lot of work, but you know, being in advertising is a lot of work. How do you, yeah. how do you keep it from being the fire hose um, effect <laughs> where you, you can't really pay attention to what you're doing? Some days I'm better than others, but I feel like I'm always trying to optimize how I'm doing things because, you know, whether it's a better planner uh, or whether it's a better software or mm -hmm. a another way to structure the day. But the mo the biggest thing that I try to do is give myself oxygen. Like, you know, it's life is stressful. It doesn't matter if you're a bus driver or you have an ad agency or whatever you do. It's super stressful. Family and having kids is stressful. Um, commuting. I mean, all these things and then running an agency and making sure that people are happy and you're heading all in the right direction. I just yeah. try, I, I've allowed, I feel like I've given myself the gift of oxygen. And, and what I mean by that is like, like exercise that like, mm. you know, I, I get up and I do the, uh, as much as I can, I do the five o'clock orange theory class. Cause if, if I do that, it just sets the tone for the morning. And I'm like, by six o'clock, that's done. Nobody needed me from five to six. So like, yeah. I'm, there's no email to look at. There's no kids. It's just like, get it done, yeah. knock it out and get on with your day. And then the other thing I will just be totally transparent that, that I find is helpful is like seeking out inspiration. You know, like, mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've gone to Tony Robbins a couple of times, Unleash mm. the Power Within. I've gotten a lot out of that. And and I, I know everyone that has gone to that has gotten a lot out of that. Mm -hmm. I also am part of um, EO, which is Entrepreneurs Organization, which is a a global peer-to-peer -peer organization. Um, they have chapters in most major cities around the world and the, the, it's business owners and being able to get together with people from that group and and just compare notes and, and get some great advice. So it's um, trying to do a lot of those things to have the right amount of oxygen to get through the day. And But I tell you, man, like at a small agency and yeah. it's bouncing around from everything from the work to some production issue to HR to the building lease, you know, something with financials. It's just, a, yeah. it, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff. So I try my best to not let my head spin around and <laughs> just try to keep it, keep compartmentalize, I guess is the right way to say it. Yeah. Um, and talk about the, the, what the Austin advertising industry is like, like what's, what's the difference do you think between say Austin and, and LA or Austin and, and, and uh, Detroit? They're all good. They're all different. LA, there's so many other distractions out there, you know, with, with Hollywood and everything else. So I felt like yeah. it was just kind of different, you know, but Detroit was really hardcore and very strong. I think Austin is 
good and it's getting better and better. I mean, GSDNN led the way for years. McGarry Jesse, a lot of respect for that agency and what they've done, you know, but then you've got like, you got Latin Works and Proof and, and then there's a lot of like smaller agencies that do brand work or visual design or advertising. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you look around and you go to their websites, you look at their work. I mean, there's, there's a lot of talent here. I, yeah. I would say it's, it's gotten crazy, crazy better in all the years I've been here. So, but the main thing that I will say about Austin that I haven't, I've noticed here more than other towns is it's a real gig economy. There's just a lot of freelance talent, art directors, writers, producers, um, people that maybe they were at GSTNM or they were doing something like that. And then realize they were ready to move on and have a new challenge, but they're not going to leave Austin. Like people yeah. just don't like to leave Austin. So they stay here and they either hang a shingle or they freelance. So it's there's a, a good talent great pool. city. What is it that makes Austin so great? Oh, uh, you know what? I feel really lucky. Like I said, I've moved away from Texas and moved back a handful of times, almost mm -hmm. Austin. And then when you travel, you know, you go places, really cool places. And then you come home and you land and you get out at the airport and you walk through the terminal and every single restaurant and bar and shop in that terminal is a local Austin establishment. So right. there's no Starbucks, there's no, none of that. It's just all, and you hear live music in the terminal, you know, there's some bands playing or something. Yeah. It's just culturally, it's, it's just, it's got soul. And I've lived yeah. in Dallas and I don't, I don't want to be critical of other cities, but I went to SMU and I'll, I'll say it. I felt like a city like that just doesn't have the soul right. that Austin has. And it's, it's a combination of just uh, creative people, it's got hills in Texas, which you don't find everywhere. There's mm -hmm. a great outdoor scene. Yeah. It's got a lake in the middle of downtown. And there's just a lot of smart people moving here, a lot of growth in many categories. So yeah. uh, whether you're single or whether you have a family or whether you're a business owner or a freelancer, it's just, yeah, it's it's hard to beat. I've, I've, I really do love it. And I think it's other than the traffic and the allergies and the uh, <laughs> heat during the summer, if yeah. you can deal with those three things, um, it's hard to beat. The tacos are, are pretty pretty good. Um, yeah, the food is 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 pretty good down there. Yeah, the food is the yeah barbecue. we're spoiled we're spoiled really spoiled. Um, so you just had South by in town. Uh, what was that like? Uh, having to go to work every day while everybody else is just walking around. Uh, oh man, going crazy! It's a shit show. It, it is really <laughs> it has turned into. I used to go to I used to go early on and and take the week and do the whole thing. Now yeah. I just it's it's a little overwhelming. And it's funny we're we're like just a couple blocks off of Sixth Street in downtown, so you know you could walk to anything. Yeah. I almost feel like if South by was in a different city, I would probably go and pay attention to it more. But because it's here, right? You're like, well, I can go back to the office and get on a conference call. You know, there's a yeah. lot of distractions by having it being in the same city. But no, it's it's grown into just cr to cr crazy proportions. I mean, anything you want to hear about, see anyone you want to meet, it's all happening during that week. And it just takes over Austin. So, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, as a local, I, I'm kind of like an old man, like get off my lawn. Right. It's, yeah. Uh, no, it's, I, it's also it's as somebody who went years ago and you go yeah. now and you're just like, wow, this is almost too big. You know, it's, it's like, it, it is, it is. But then, then again, I don't want to sound like that old guy complaining. So no, no it's awesome. The old it's guys, awesome. Though. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, you, you have a lot of clients that are smaller. You say you're the, you're the sort of the, the marketing department in those places. There's a trend in the industry where a lot of clients are taking everything in-house or thinking they can do it themselves or trying to, you know, save their right. money on, on paying an agency to do something or, 
where do you think that's going? What's what's the what does that say yeah. to you as a business owner? It's happening. It's going. It's uh it's it's like we're seeing it more and more. We're good with it though. I feel like we're right size for that model. And you know, we'll have for for example, we have a consumer a consumer product good, like a it's like an appliance for the home and it's air air I'm trying to get to the point here. I couldn't think of the words. So like they're air purifiers. They okay. make beautiful high-end air purifiers. Uh-huh. And you know, we work with them on lead generation and building online campaigns and driving people down the funnel to conversions and all that. But like, they're still going to run some email marketing in-house or they're still going to do SEO with somebody else or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got in-house resources. We, we really don't come in and say, give us everything. We play well in the sandbox. And I think you kind of have to in today's model yeah. to, to be able to do it that way. And, and so I like, I like where we're at with that. I'm okay with it. If I had had the agency 10, 15 years ago, I'd probably be a little bit more hardcore, draw a line in the sand and be like, no, anything that goes out the door, the agency should influence. But I just don't think that that's today's model or today's reality. So we just got to go with it and find our way to be really useful to an in-house group and do some stuff that they can't do. What advice do you have for young people? Maybe they want to send you their book or they're thinking of getting into advertising. What, What advice would you have for them? It's still a people business. You know, it's like people like to work with people they like, and it just sounds terrible, but there's a lot of good books out there. And I just think finding a way to get to know people in the industry, like truly get to know them. And and I know that's hard. It's hard when you're junior and you're coming up, but as much as you can get involved peripherally, you know, and with, with some ad groups or things like that, just to try to genuinely kind of get to know people. I think there's that. I think staying in touch with people is great. Don't do it in a way that's like, a nuisance, but it's okay to say, hey, I just finished up this spec campaign for whatever. Check it out. What do you think? Um, I appreciate that. And I think that's, it's nice to stay in touch with people. I know that, I know what's behind it, but they're yeah. not, they're not asking anything of me. And when the time comes and we've got an opening, I'll remember them. So right. there's that. I think uh, one of my creative directors once told me, don't move to a city just because of the job. Like if, mm. if there's no other reason you would go there other than the job, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. And I didn't stick to that. I didn't always stick to that, but I, I think that that's, um, I think that's really good advice. I think that part of what you want to get out of your, you know, you want to, you want to have a, a work-life balance and, and maybe it's not going to be perfectly balanced, but you just, you want to make sure you're, you're happy and you're feeding your soul and you're in a spot where, where you're happy to be there and you're happy to be living there. And also if the job, you know, something happens and falls apart, there's, it's a good place to be right. professionally in, in terms of your life as well. So yeah. I think about that and I, I just, I want to pass that on. It wasn't my advice, but I, I liked it and I always remembered it. Yeah, that's good advice. And the, the thing you said about uh, knowing the people in the industry, I think is really important too. I just want to, you know, reiterate that is not just the agencies, you know, when, if you just say, well, I want to work at Droga, so David Droga does this and he thinks that right. and he thinks that. It's like, well, there's other people that work there and you probably will never speak to David Droga, especially when For you sure. first start working there. Um, so get to know the people you actually would be working for and you can find them on LinkedIn. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and then, you know, get to know what they like. Uh, follow them on Instagram. Start, you know, sending them things. If they're into soccer, send them something about soccer. You know, I like that. thinking about what they like as opposed to, you know, just hire me. Yeah. No, I think that's it. You're right. And then yeah. you get to know them as people and they get to know you as a person. You know, it's it's uh, it's so hard and so uh so hard to follow, especially when you're young and you're just getting started. But I think it's yeah. it's super important to get to know these people as people. So, uh, yes, because um, okay. you're going to have to work with them every day. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're right. You're um, right. So, uh, what else? What else would you would? What else am I am I missing? What should? Oh, what should, What else did you want to talk about? Gosh, I don't know. I, you've, I feel like we could told, do a whole other show. I know. Well, I see. That I realize you're you're called to talk to me, but I I, I haven't heard anything about what you, what do you ha- what are you most excited about right now? Oh my God! What's going on in uh, your world that, that you're most excited about? Well, we're our agency, Demasimo Goldstein, is doing some great work. We're trying to hire people. I feel like it was interesting when I when I went to your site, looked at your stuff, and it's sort of like you guys are the Austin version of us. <laughs> it was oh, like, I'll t- it was I'll like looking that's, through. Uh, it was like looking through nice. a mirror, uh, being like, "Whoa, they're really? they're just like us." And I said that to everybody, and everybody was like, "Whoa, that's actually creepy." How much they're like us? Well, I, I did not know. Well, that's a compliment. I yeah, no, it's really that. good. It's really good. Uh, cool. So we're that's excited about a lot of you know the same kind of things. You know, we're we're hiring. Uh, we're always pitching business. We got some yeah. great work coming out for a few clients, and um, just did something for Shutterstock today. It's April Fool's Day today. Oh, we were recording oh. This, so okay, okay. I'm not blowing yeah. it, but uh, it was a uh, the the idea was they are building a brick and mortar library for their stock work. So it's going to be the biggest <laughs> library in the world because they have so many. So yeah, that's the video we're putting out oh, today. Uh, I can, I'll look for that. That's great. And I yeah, like what work are you guys working on that we should look for? What's the what's the hot stuff that we should be sharing out? We're, we've got it's fun. It's never like a dull moment. We're we're solving some crazy hard business problems right now with like technology companies that have big big challenges and stuff. So interestingly enough, what we are working on the most right now are really deep like positioning projects. I love those because they set the tone for all the work that follows. Yeah. But we're working in technology and real estate and beverage and travel and it's 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 cool. It's um a real mix of stuff. That's um, great. You know, it keeps things interesting, but uh, before we go there's one thing I do want to say cuz you said one what other thing. Yeah. And especially going back to like someone young coming out of the business into the business is, is I would say like always look beyond the job list. To, mm-hmm. to figure out that next that that great piece of work that you're going to do like if you just if you just take what's on the job list mm-hmm. um that's not enough it's like it's like we always talk about giving clients what they ask for plus what they didn't think to ask for mm-hmm. i think if as a young writer art director or a young creative coming up keep that in mind keep that in mind and, and you'll, you'll your portfolio will will grow a lot faster so that that's something that i feel like helped me go outside the job description yeah. What are yeah. some things you've seen from from young people that have sort of caught your eye or or something you're just like, oh, that's what I'm talking about? Can you think oh, of man. anything that uh, that grabbed you? Um, for me, it's usually I'm, not I'm, advertising. It's like a yeah, like a, a an Instagram post yeah. or an Instagram um, account that they've created right. or something. I feel like it is too. I mean, now that you say that, I think that more and more, I'm like, I think maybe that was like. Oh, that's fun extracurricular stuff years ago. Right. But now that's the stuff that really does get me excited. I look at it, I'm like, wow, that's there's a lot of creativity in that. It's it's they're a self-starter, they're doing something they're passionate about. So yeah. I love that stuff. I love seeing all that extracurricular stuff that isn't a traditional ad. And you do see that more and more with books, and I appreciate it. I love I love it. Yeah. You can because you can make anything you want now. So you better be making yeah. stuff or that's you right. know, why would why would you we hire you? Yeah. So how how do people find you on the internets and things? Oh man, I am on the internet, so you can find me on LinkedIn or on Instagram. I think it's just Prentice Howe. Yeah. Um, first name, last name. Howe email spelled H O W E. H O W E. Yeah. So um, email is uh, p Howe p h o w e at dn3austin.com, and um, yeah, website's dn3austin.com. 
All right. So and we're then, there. Uh, we're on the interwebs. They're going to get your book uh, on the on the Amazon. It's on the Amazon. Yep. It's also also at Book People in downtown Austin. If you oh, have buy it from Book People in downtown yeah. Austin. Do they have an online? Right. Do they have an online store? They do. Let's blow do. them up. Let's get let's get <laughs> let's get that going. I know. Yeah. Uh, book yeah. People in downtown Austin. We're we're gonna at them on this episode. Cool. Uh, get you some uh, some feedback there. Uh, well, thank you, Prentice. It was really nice talking to you, and uh, great to meet you. Yeah, great to meet you. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. And let's go grab a Shinerbach or, or whatever okay. that other beer was uh, <laughs> next time uh, I'm down in Austin. Yeah, come on down. It won't Love be during you. South By. No, no, it, I mean, no, some not other South time. By. Some other time. Yes. Yeah. All, right. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. I enjoyed it. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye bye. was brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Please subscribe on your uh, your podcast places, wherever they are, and uh, share us with your friends. Uh, the A-List is recorded at Gramercy Post in New York City. Our engineers were Matt Stillo and Joe Webster. Our producer was Casey Valigursky. Research done by James Neiman. I'm Tom Chrisman. Thanks for listening.